Hey guys, uh, real quick before we start, just wanted to say there is one final mention of Brandon Stroud in this episode. It is the last one, and for the record, uh, fuck that guy, he sucks, believe women, that's it, enjoy the show. I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help, with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week, we bridge into a pin and get a near fall on the episode of NXT that originally aired on November 13th, 2013. This is a pretty stacked episode with tons of actual wrestling, so we figured, you know, might as well bring in somebody who has actually worked in wrestling. Which is why yeah. our guest today is... I am the ice in your drink, the flame in your candle, the man so bad few people can handle, the one and only, never lonely, undisputed, can't refuted, undeniable brown hornet, Jeff B. Lee. Ah, I'm in love! This is amazing! <laughs> Welcome to episode 26 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode was mainly a bunch of squash matches, but that's just because it was the penultimate episode of the taping. This time, we have the last episode of that taping, which usually means some quality shit. And if you're talking about quality shit, you're probably talking about Jeff B. Lee. Jeff, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us on the show. No, no, buddy. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here and talk some NXT. This is actually... Uh, an episode that I haven't seen in a while. I've seen bits and pieces, and then like this was original NXT back when it wasn't on the network as much. I think it was on Hulu for a while, Hulu, and then, yeah. like, web shows. So I didn't watch it as much. So it's good to catch up. Right on. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit, Jeff, before we get into it about you and and kind of your history with pro wrestling and with the the business, as they call it. So I'm like very much on the borderline of like, is he in the business? Like technically, yeah, right. but not really. <laughs> Uh, I'm a commentator and ring announcer, uh, did a bunch of stuff, started in Pennsylvania, uh, in the Philly Ooh. area, like most kids growing up in the time, ECW was the best thing in the world, <laughs> uh, friends want to do crazy backyard wrestling shit, oh, I no. don't want to do crazy backyard wrestling shit because it looks really painful, but what yeah. I can do is run my mouth on a karaoke machine while they <laughs> jump off like, I'm going to jump off my dad's tool shed, and like, that's awesome, oh. give oh me a karaoke God. machine. So I did that. Uh, went to regular old college and it being Pennsylvania, there are a ton of wrestling schools all over the place. I had to take a class where it's, um, our project was, how do you learn things outside of the classroom? So I went there, did some learning how to run the ropes, how to take a bump, realized that I definitely don't want to do this, but I want to be a part of the magic because it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, did some commentating there, went to Alabama uh, for grad school to learn some of that good old Southern wrestling. Uh, down yeah. there, I got to work with Hall of Famer Bullet Bob Armstrong. I've worked with Abdullah the Butcher, Buff Bagwell. I'm just going to name drop all the damn yeah. people I know to make myself sound way cooler than Do I it. actually am. You're, um, you're going to have to later on tell me who these people are. Some of them I have heard of, but others I'm like, I feel like I should know this name, but I don't. Yeah, no problem. Um, so got done with grad school, moved out west, went to Arizona, got to meet some of the local folks there. Um, in doing that, I got to move over westward a little bit and work in the uh, Las Vegas area. Las Vegas people put me in contact with California people. Um, so going through there, there was a time when 
we see NXT as sort of the the like um, the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. So that little regional area was like where all the minor league, the minor minor leagues. Um, right. So mm-hmm. I was working with folks like uh, Tommaso Ciampa before he went back up, Chris Hero, and his in between <gasps> times between that. Um, <gasps> Drew McIntyre, who's just, if you think he's sexy on TV, you wait till you meet Drew McIntyre in person. What does he smell like? <laughs> like testosterone in Scotland. It's amazing. Oh my God. Got to work with the Hardy Boys, uh, oh, Willie wow. Mack. I think the thing that stuck closest to me was working with the Hurricane because I was a huge Hurricane Mark and I got him to sign my superhero costume uh, because before I went bald, I had a huge 1970s afro. So he he signed my costume in middle school and then, you know... 12 years down the line, I'm like, holy shit, we're, we're co-workers now. So I'm like That's sitting so there cool. backstage shooting the shit, talking about comic books with a hurricane. And that just like, <gasps> it touched my heart. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, commentator, ring announcer, extraordinaire. In my personal belief, um, as long as Justin Roberts wasn't there, I was the best one uh, ring announcer in Arizona. As someone who has both... Uh done the occasional stint of ring announcing in Arizona uh, and also has heard Jeff ring announce in Arizona, I am confident that his claim is accurate. (laughs) What about NXT specifically, Jeff? What was your relationship with the show? What's your relationship with it now? Like, how do you, when you think about and look at NXT, what do you think about? There was that point where thinking about folks that I have worked with. So it's so awesome. It's like, oh, holy shit, I just saw this guy. You know, we were in a small little arena and, you know, maybe a hundred people show up for an indie show. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy shit, here you like taking down everything at a takeover in a legit arena. Um, so a lot of it is watching friends and coworkers thrive and prosper and live Aww. the dreams that I'm too afraid to do on my own. Because I like my my nice little quality of life where it's like, hey, I won't be fired on a Wednesday just for the fuck of it. So that's kind of scary. But it's, it's a lot of watching friends, watching people hone their craft and I think uh, Finn Balor said it which was really awesome where it's very much like Broadway um, and it's done, you don't have a lot of the big lights and flashy cameras and special effects it's very much a an indie show on a grand scale mm-hmm. yeah it's like the fullest realization of the idea of the super indie that people used to talk about back in the day yes before it actually became a thing <laughs> Uh, All right. One more question, Jeff, and then we're going to get into the actual show. So I'm assuming that over the course of your time doing this, you've had to sort of talk to people about why you're doing it and what wrestling is and like try to get people into it, which is what we do here. Mm -hmm. Um, What's usually your pitch? Like what angle do you you take when you're trying to get people to become a wrestling fan? Um, I'm going to steal a line that I got from the Bellows, which is actually fucking fantastic being a theater geek. It's Broadway with body slams. If you can Mm. find them to tell a really good story. It's more real than anything you'll ever see in a movie. The action oh. shit that goes down here is a thousand times realer than Game of Thrones, and you enjoyed that. Everything you want can be in wrestling. If you want something really funny and hilarious, you've got, you know, the stuff that went down with The Rock and The Hurricane, fucking the funniest shit I've seen in almost my entire life. That was so good. Um, if you want the crazy blood and guts, that's there. If you want the the sappy storylines, I love the Mandy Rose and Otis storyline yes. going on right now. So I tell them, I'm like, what are you looking for? And then I will find it for you. And that will be the type of wrestling you want to get into. If you want the cute costumes in the pageantry, what was it? Um, costume death ballet or something along the lines of that. Yes. <laughs> tell me what you want and I will find it in the world of wrestling for you because it all exists. Hell yeah. 
Jeff's going to be hanging out and taking some tags as we move through the latest edition of Bob's Breakdown. Of course, uh, you do have to wait one more episode to hear whatever Bob was able to come up with uh, fanfic-wise for that last Wrestling History of the Week. But you only have to wait until the end of this episode for the Cheap Pop Quiz. And as for the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz, well, for those, the wait is over. <laughs> I feel okay. I feel okay about these. You think you did okay? I'm tentatively hopeful I got a sweep, but I don't think I got a sweep. Let's find out. Question number one. Who arrives for their match on the next episode with brand new entrance music? Was it A, Adrian Neville, B, Corey Graves, C, Mason Ryan, D, Aiden English, or E, Alexander Rusev? Bob, you selected A, Adrian Neville, and you were correct. Yeah, and it's a vast improvement. It's still going to get better, I'm here to tell you, but it is an improvement. By the way, uh, Bob currently is rolling into this episode with seven points, needing ten for her next romance novel, which is why she's so excited about potentially getting a sweep here. Chomping at bit. Question number two. On the next episode, you will meet the son of legendary Tongan wrestler Haku, also known as Meng. Despite the fact that he is not only Tongan, but of a well-known Tongan lineage, what nationality is his character? And by nationality, of course, I meant his entire gimmick. Oh, I wondered why I didn't remember this one. (laughs) Is it A, Samoan, B, Hawaiian, C, Mexican, D, Puerto Rican, or E, Native American? Uh, Bob, you were charitable. You thought that they would uh, keep him as a Pacific Islander, and you said A, Samoan. Yeah. That is not the case, unfortunately. Camacho's character is that he is Mexican. Uh, Uh, which makes just so much sense. Racism. I had a very different take on his character, which I will share with you guys later. Yeah, I'm excited As much as Yokozuna being Japanese when he's Samoan. So that's the world you live in in the WWE. Question number three. So when uh, Brandon Stroud of With Spandex reviewed this episode back when it first aired, he wrote the following about the segment with the BFFs and Bailey. This can go in a few acceptable directions. And after laying out those acceptable directions, he concluded... Anything else can go to hell. Which of his four acceptable directions actually occurs? Was it A, Bailey going bad but still being Bailey in a Sandy from Greece situation? B, Charlotte turning on Bailey because she's a flare and the flares are all disreputable scumbags? C, Charlotte and Sasha having a when doves cry moment when they realize they're color swapped versions of the same character? <laughs> mm-hmm. D, Bailey hugging everyone and everyone deciding to be friends? Or E, none of the above, they went in a different direction and Stroud was very upset. Bob, you went with B, Charlotte turning on Bailey because she's a flair and the flares are all disreputable scumbags. And of course, you were correct. Which means that you have nine points total, one away. And it also means, you know, we like to keep track of Bob's milestones on this show. And I like to I like to be very proud when she clearly <laughs> understands something about wrestling that she didn't coming in. The fact that we were, we were 25 episodes in and she already understood that the flares are all disreputable scumbags <laughs> and you should never trust any of them for a moment. It's a very special moment for me. You're getting it now. That's yeah. the story, you know. <laughs> I feel like I'm on my bike and like I've just gotten the training wheels off and I'm like toddling down the street like, oh, oh. All right, well, toddle uh, your way over to your breakdown, Bob, because that's what it's time for. All right. Match one. Bailey bounces to the ring like a precious fawn that has just learned how to frolic. (laughs) 
And uh, Charlotte does her contractually mandated gymnastics. Team BFFs come in looking ready to wreck the joint. Sasha has boss written on her butt. So, you know, it's for reals, guys, because you're only allowed to put something on your butt if you mean it. And then Bailey shyly gives headbands to Summer Rae and Sasha, who throw them aside in disgust, which is fucking rude. And I do not like it. But, you know, I'm sure that's going to be the most emotionally upsetting part of this. So I'll probably be fine. Yeah, right. It does make me wonder about their whole plan, though. Like we saw in the last episode, they were trying to, like, use Baylor or whatever. And it's like, so then you get to the ring with them and then you're throwing her headbands away when you were just giving her a new one. So their yeah. plan so their plan apparently was just to get a mental leg up on this one tag team match. It's very weird because I was like, your whole plan was headband based and you've seemed to have thrown that away, but okay. Yeah. Charlotte and Sasha are in the ring and the crowd starts chanting ratchet. I'm going to come back to that because I have a wrestling sociology question to ask. But first. Oh, I love those. Charlotte is moving with a lot more strength and power than she has in the past. She's starting to have this feel for herself in the ring that is different than when she first started out and was like kind of very lightly taking moves. I dig it. I dig this new kind of side of Charlotte. That makes she's sense. She's getting to me. into the character of like, I'm Charlotte Flair, the queen. She's becoming the queen that we know that she will be yeah. now. There you go. I saw little shades of it and I was yeah. like, oh, there you are. I definitely want to talk about that more when, uh, when the finish of this match happens. So she knocks Sasha down to the mat and does an arm submission move, peppering it with some cheeky bridges and then flipping back over from her bridge to drive her knee into Sasha's back. Yeah, this is like nice. the most gymnastics shit ever like when she goes over she is in the whole gymnastics like handstand position isn't she yeah it's pretty intense and then that she can do it easily it's weird yeah. to watch because i'm like usually the people who can still do that are children after a certain <laughs> point there's a reason why adults don't do gymnastics it's because your body doesn't let you so charlotte trades off to bailey who loses the momentum as sasha gets her in the stomach with a knee she gets bailey onto the mat and into a sensual neck snuggle right up in whispering range <laughs> or a chin lock as william regal insists on calling it i like your name better it doesn't last very long, though, because uh, Sasha gives her over to Summer Rae, who locks in her unbelievably long legs up around Bailey's back, pinning her arms behind her. And Summer Rae locks her ankles behind Bailey's head. I paused it for just a second, and it looked so strongly like something from a very early draft of the Kama Sutra when they were just fucking around <laughs> trying stuff. They're like, I don't know if this is going to be a thing, but it could be a thing. So, like... I don't know. We'll just put it in the draft. And if it gets cut later, it gets cut. We've talked about this move before, and it is definitely my favorite thing that Summer Rae does. What's the name of that move? I mean, it's basically a full Nelson, but with her legs. Oh, dang. So a full Nelson leg lock? I'm going to, okay. is what I might say if I were doing commentary. Yeah. I was really impressed too in this match because they, she not only gets that, that hold in, which I've seen her do, but they actually do the spot where like Bailey backs her up and gets her body weight on top of her into the pin and gets a two count and then uh, Summer kicks out of it but maintains the submission hold, which I thought required some real strength on her part. Summer Ray trades Bailey off to Sasha, who locks in her high intensity spooning behind Bailey. But Bailey's like, piggyback ride! <laughs> and then just stands up with Sasha barnacled to her back. And <laughs> Bailey scrapes her off on the corner and grabs her for a belly to belly suplex. Everything's coming up, Bailey. All she needs to do is tag Charlotte in to finish the match off. So she comes in for the tag, and then Charlotte slaps her in the face. What? 
Why would you hurt this precious baby? Charlotte comes into the ring, flips over Bailey to slam her head on the mat, and then just lets Sasha pin her for the win. And Charlotte leaves the arena with Sasha and Summer Rae and my broken heart. <laughs> so I guess uh, the jerk-ass sorority is doing well this pledge week, having already picked up another recruit. Uh, the name of that move is uh, Natural Selection. Is uh, Charlotte's that flip thing? That's Natural Selection. Yeah. Oh my Which god! I don't, know if, I don't know if we've uh, we've heard that on on programming yet, but yeah, that will oh, be okay. then, then it will be Natural Selection. Yeah. What oh, I like that's is such she a was good able name. to do like a. I'm genetically better than you, but not like in a racist way, which is like, I always got really worried when they said that, but it's like, no, it's because my dad is Ric Flair. I'm genetically yeah. superior. I can do all these flips. I can do these gymnastics as an adult because I'm just naturally better. Um, I'm naturally gifted. Evolution has gone that way for me. And I was like, cool, because I could have gone real eugenics real yeah, fast. Yeah, could. But it, but it doesn't. So that's awesome. So good for her for not being a eugenicist. Yeah. Oh, man. The Ric Flair breeding program. I really enjoy this heel turn from the the acting that Sasha and Summer are doing. This was not a plan by them. Charlotte just decided to join their group. And she's like, hey, guys, guess what? I'm going to hurt this person. And now we're all going to be friends. And they're like, um, OK. I remember thinking of Charlotte in these early years of NXT as being like super green, you know, really just, you know, not quite there, still very much working on the craft of it and everything. But it is true that in this match and especially with the turn, I think she's starting to get the character down. And I think it's really interesting that, like, she's the one with the agency in this scenario. It's not like who are the BFFs going to pick to join them. She just decided she was in the group and they're not willing to tell her no. I no, yeah, I mean, who would? I like that. And I see I can see that as like accidental foreshadowing for the character that Charlotte would become. I have a question about that heel turn, because yes. to me, it seemed underdeveloped. Because there was no evil mirror or anything. <laughs> and that made me go, oh, is that the more normal version of a heel turn where you're just sort of like, oh, maybe they might have, you know, a bit of a dark side to them. But no, it just came out of nowhere. Is it because she is a flare and everybody should just know that's always going to be where it goes? You're never there's no such thing as a good flare. <laughs> It's partially that, but also it, it's just, you know, when we talked about turns, we talked about the kind that we've been seeing, which are the the built up ones, you know, and then we talked about the more sudden ones, you know. Corey Graves' heel turn kind of came out of nowhere, but we can probably chalk that up to like him being frustrated at losing at least. Yeah. With Charlotte, it's like she, if you were applying the logic of combat sports to this match, then technically Charlotte lost as Bailey's tag team partner. So she was willing to take a loss to join the group, which makes it a little bit less, you know, inherently logical. But I think that this is the way a lot of heel turns happen, especially for newer wrestlers. Like they'll, they'll come in. They'll be a, a baby face a few times, uh, you know, and, and then maybe maybe their first real like storyline involves them turning heel, you know, which is kind of what's happening here. Oh, OK. Yeah. Or you'll find some that other people already be like in a group and then the people in their group are sort of going through a heel turn and they just sort of follow them along that way. I love the idea that like, oh, I just fell in with the wrong crowd and now I'm a heel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to be. I know. I just, look, I was just trying my best. I always got good grades in school. And then I became friends with a heel. And you know how it goes. The heel that didn't turn so much as saunter vaguely heel words. Yes. Okay. So here's my wrestling sociology question. Okay. So Miles and I have touched 
some, I mean, the podcast could be all about this, but the myriad problems that wrestling has with people of color, with women, with different body types, etc. And a lot of our discussion is centered on the makers of the product, but I want to talk about the crowd and how the crowd of wrestling shows has become or not become question mark, mm-hmm. uh, less racist, misogynist, sizist, ableist, transphobic, take your pick. Do you think that wrestling crowds would be less likely to do something as racist as the ratchet chant now? And then what part do you think crowds play in making or not making progress for diversity in wrestling? It has gotten better because although like ratchet is very like racially charged, it was never mm. like outright racist. So I'm mm-hmm. like, there's a big improvement, you know, back in the day you would get like inward chance. Oh, and geez. so, so oh, yeah. we, so we've made great progress to that. The crowd is growing. The performers are growing. And I feel like society as a whole is just growing. Yeah. And, and the other thing to remember about this is of course, that as society grows and progresses, if there's one truth in the world, it's that, as society continues to move forward, Vince McMahon will be stubbornly attempting to drag it back. And so that's unfortunate because he controls the the wrestling company that the majority of fans see, especially casual fans. So, you know, if they if they have decided that they like WWE and they don't have, you know, any other kind of framework for talking about this stuff, then they might be drawn in to that kind of shitty behavior because that is the culture that that McMahon is producing. But mm. that's also the reason why it's always so cool to see like other companies like what you're seeing in AEW, although not enough in my opinion, but like what you're seeing in AEW yeah. being much more inclusive and trying to trying to drag the Overton window of professional wrestling <laughs> back away from Vince. Okay, cool. Thank you. That is really helpful because I definitely so what I'm experiencing now for the most part is I have two different chunks of wrestling that I've seen. I have seen like whatever's on TV, some stuff that's on TV now. I've seen a little bit of Chikara from this time period and then this 2013 NXT stuff and then this big gap in the middle. So I just have these two <laughs> things. Right. And it's like, how did we get there? Are we really there? Were we really here? Like, well, what is the, the connection between these? Uh, one of the reasons that we're watching NXT is because I feel like NXT has a big role in how we got from from there to Definitely. here. So cool. So backstage, Aiden English is doing vocal warmups totally unnecessarily because <laughs> by the time that we see him, he's already in the ring. He didn't even get to sing his song, nor does he do his encore. So question mark, question mark. He just did them for funsies. I have feelings about that. We'll get to it later. Presumably so did William Regal, although maybe he got to sing his song. and They just cut it for time. But the episode was a tidy 36 minutes. So like, guys. Take the extra two minutes and give me a fucking Aiden English song. Yeah, right. I know. There wasn't even a raw rebound on this one. I know. I was like, what is this episode for <laughs> if not to give me a little bit more Aiden English doing, you know, a parody song? But it's match two, and he's wrestling a guy named Camacho, who is dressed like he's a member of the Sears Fight Club that meets after work. <laughs> he's got work shoes on, khakis, and a leather belt and a black undershirt. FYI, in the olden days, all department stores handled promotions by fights in the docking bays. I don't know if, you know, you guys knew this, but it's canon. This is all true. These are all facts. Aiden English does not take this in a walk. It is a struggle. Uh, he gets thrown over Camacho's head and then begs for timeout, pleading for mercy. Camacho is like, are you like those JC Penny's punk asses that can't take a hit? And starts <laughs> kicking English. 
Camacho does a fancy little bow, which pisses English off, but not as much as the fact that Camacho then does one of English's moves by leaping up and doing that neck across the chest. And that seems to be enough to motivate English, who does the director's cut and pins Camacho for the win. I'm here for this department store fight, Daddy. Absolutely here for it. More of him. Guys, why did English have to struggle a bit for this win? Because it made him, to me, look a little weaker that he was struggling against a jobber after putting on a reasonable fight against RVD. Now, Camacho's not a jobber. You know, he was on the show previously before we started covering. He's just been been hurt. It does feel like English went from squash matches to that weird main event with Van Damme where he put up a fight but was obviously not going to win to this where it's like he's clearly struggling to handle Camacho and he kind of only wins with a last second uh, desperation strike of his finisher. I remember reading at the time that it was interesting because Aiden English um, was getting really positive receptions in full sale from the crowd Mm -hmm. at the TV tapings. But then when NXT would go on the road for like non-televised stuff, when they were just work a wrestling, work some wrestling towns, um, he would get kind of what they were originally going for with him, which is snobby intellectual. He would get heat. You know, he would get the crowd booing him um, for being a snobby intellectual. One thing that you'll notice as we continue moving through our coverage is that there will be somebody in NXT. They will be really popular with the NXT with the full sale crowd who loves their shtick because they're just into it. And then they will move on to the main roster and we'll ring the bell for them. And I'll say something like their main roster career did not go well because it never, ever does. There are some (laughs) occasions where it does, but not very often. But it's so interesting to me how this experience of watching wrestling in full sale, these folks might not even be wrestling fans. Like some of them are there every every time. But like this is a university. People could just be wandering in, you know? Yeah. And it's so interesting to me how like that diversity in crowds, as opposed to when you're going on the road, you're probably going to go to people who like bought tickets for a wrestling show. And so I'm wondering if for some reason Aiden English is like getting de-pushed or demoted a little bit because he's not getting the desired crowd response because the crowds are enjoying him? I don't know. That's going to be a reoccurring thing through Aiden's career as he goes through, and especially when he gets to the main roster, he and Rusev have a, a really ridiculously hot tag team together. And they just never completely pull the trigger on it. Yes. Oh, Rusev Day. You're going to like Rusev Day. Oh, my gosh. Okay. We'll, we'll do that for uh, <laughs> we'll do some Rusev Day for a watch party sometime, Bob. But uh, oh, wow. Because Rusev Day doesn't happen in NXT. Backstage, Lana is speaking Russian, I believe, possibly circling around Rusev and looking at his powerfully trembling pecs. And Rusev answers, also possibly in Russian, stares into the middle distance, then at his hands, then into the middle distance, like he's reliving some of the dark things he's done in his past. And if you were wondering, gentle listeners, how much effort the WWE puts into captioning, when Lana and Rusev are speaking, it just says, quote, language, not the (laughs) name of the language, just language. Very postmodern. James Strict would approve WWE. Um, they do that a lot, especially because because it's a WWE. Their heels are like foreigners are always the heel, and they'll just like go off speaking in their native language, and that makes them the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. So foreigners are bad, and if you don't speak English, you're bad, and that that happens a lot. Although less so in NXT, fortunately. Well, match three: Danny Burch versus Mason Ryan. 
<laughs> my pony boy is back. I love him. I'm so happy to see him. And then in that moment, William Regal tries really valiantly to give a short history lesson on the colonization of England by the Romans. <laughs> oh my god, which- that's my favorite thing. It gets lost among the fact that Mason Ryan is slamming into Danny Birch, but we noticed, William Regal, we saw that you attempted to give (laughs) voice to this, like, very long ago story, but, you know, good try. Yeah. Danny Birch comes after Ryan to the point where the ref has to create separation between them multiple times, and, you know, you can crowd a horse for a while, and then they don't like it anymore. Granted, most horses don't knock you down with a boot to the face and then do a spine buster on you. But if a horse could, (laughs) it fucking would. And that's what Mason Ryan does to Danny Birch. And in conclusion, yay, Mason Ryan. (laughs) And also, I do like seeing Danny Birch. I'm not entirely sure that's a spine buster, but are you talking about the the finishing move? Was it not a spine buster? No. What is it? Is it a power bomb? So a spine buster is a really specific thing. And and you you could look it up. um, But it involves being like face to face. And, like, kind of picking the guy up by, like, his upper thighs and then slamming him on his back. The thing Mason Ryan does is just kind of a, it's a weird, like, he's got him from behind and he picks him up in the air by his torso and slams him down. I'm not sure what you would call that. The fact that Mason Ryan is just real strong and can do that. Yeah, that's the name of that move. I'm not trying to. I'm not <laughs> trying to be shitty and correct you. Like, how dare you not know no, what a spine no, no. buster is? I always appreciate it because I'm like, well, it looks kind of like the other thing I've seen. But then whenever I get corrected, it helps me to sort of internalize. Okay, these are the things that denote what it is. It's yeah. like the direction you're facing. It's the part that you're grabbing. Right. Mason Ryan never got a huge push. He never got like a name for that finisher. And it's sort of just like a a swinging side slam. And a lot of moves are just, you sort of describe them as you go until they get like a really cool name. Or sometimes they'll give the same name to different moves. It's also weird how like finishing moves kind of weirdly go in and out of fashion in wrestling history, especially depending on what company you're in. Like, I really feel like this thing that Mason Ryan is doing is like part of a strange family of moves that like everybody was getting in the like late aughts and early tens. Like the director's cut that English does is kind of like this too. It's like kind of a vague slamming to <laughs> slamming down of yes. the, the shoulders onto the mat. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of a, it doesn't really have a I wrestling w- move. It's just a thing that you do. I love the idea that there's like own brand wrestling moves. These are like Hydrox wrestling moves. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, now it's time for the main event. And this is a tidy 36 minute episode. And we get a whole 16 minutes for this two out of three falls. And you yep. know what? I was actually really happy with it. I did not feel like it overstayed its welcome. Good length. Yeah, good length. I'm not a huge fan of two out of three falls matches just to begin with, because 90% yeah. of the time, the first two falls don't mean shit. And I, w- that's, I was going to ask about that, and I was like, oh, I guess I should just expect from now on that like the first two falls are one guy, then the other guy, and then the third one actually matters, which why yes. didn't we have that one? <laughs> My favorite thing in the world is when two out of three falls matches end with one t- with one team or one wrestler scoring two straight falls. I love it when yeah. that happens. It's, it's I, I always pop for it. I want to see one of those because I yeah. I want to see the absolute betrayal on the faces and just going like, what? This never happens. <laughs> this is between Adrian Neville and Corey Graves. And all I want, all I want in this world is for good things to happen to Adrian Neville. 
The match starts out with my energetic hobbit who just had 11s and is raring to go ripping into Corey Graves with kicks, including one that gets Graves in the head, getting him down and in position for the red arrow. Neville lands it and gets the pin. All right, that's one of the falls out of the way. It's like it's a little bit late for 11s. I know. It probably is, but I was like, maybe he's like a mostly nocturnal hobbit. That's, I mean, we, yeah. we don't have any indication. Of so, what yeah. time this is taking place. He's a yeah. British hobbit, so they're on they're on Greenwich Oh Friars. yeah, meantime. That's right, Greenwich yeah, meantime. Exactly. That's that Greenwich Shire time. That makes sense. Greenwich Shire time, yes. The cutest time. That's what it is. The cutest time zone. <laughs> Now Graves is on the back foot and gets out of the ring. He gets back in, and as Neville comes back in after him, Graves kicks him in the knee. The knee is the theme of this fall. Mm. Graves works over that left knee from multiple angles, using the ropes, using ring posts, using, I don't know, just random stuff. A portion of the crowd starts chanting, We want Breeze. (laughs) Yep. Which is, I guess, the CM Punk chant of NXT? (laughs) Certainly in late 2013 it was, absolutely. To just like, man, you know what? I saw Zoolander this weekend, but I could really go for some more of that. <laughs> and then Zoolander 2 came along and proved you wrong. Graves locks in a single leg Boston Crab. And the way that Graves twists uh, Neville's leg in the hold, it looks genuinely horrifying in a way that it doesn't usually. My ankle was twinging. They like zoom in on it really nicely and like they see him like pulling up the boot and digging his fingers in. And it's really, yeah, they do a good job. And then Neville somersaults out of it, but he's wrestling a lot from his knees now. He gets up to his feet a little bit and Graves does that leg block and gets Neville into Lucky 13. And he tries to resist, but he does tap out. So Neville is now barely holding himself up in the corner. Graves grabs him up over his shoulder and wraps Neville's legs into a little package and drops him down. But he lands on his feet and manages a kick to the side of Graves' head. But Neville, not doing great. He can barely stand up. He's using the ropes to haul himself up. Every blow he lands, he has to kind of regroup and rebalance himself. Neville dropkicks Graves and then goes for a pin, but it's not enough. So he rolls Graves into position and goes up to the top on one fucking leg. And he biffs it horribly, slipping and crashing to the mat. That looked like a nasty fall, even though I'm sure he planned that fall. It still looked bad. That's one of the best, what I can only assume is a planned botch I've ever seen. Yeah. That was one of the things like where I said, um, I learned how to wrestle and then just, I couldn't in my mind put myself in positions where I would know I would get hurt on purpose. Where it's like, I'm going to fall. <laughs> this is going to hurt. This is going to look horrible. It's going to be horrible. And we're just going to, we're going to run with it. Cause I did oh. uh, collegiate wrestling. I did football and I was like, I like I like full contact. I, I like to hurt people sometimes. I'm like, if I try yeah. real hard, I won't get hurt. But right. wrestlers just go out full well. It's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to jump off this 20-foot ladder, and there's going to be nothing to catch me but fucking concrete air and a table. And you, they just do it, which is fucking <laughs> bonkers. Yeah. Like, it's such a weird thing in your head to go... I'm going to jump now. No, I'm really actually I'm going to jump now. No, I have to jump now. And like your brain just goes, uh, no. It was so funny hearing you talk about it that way, Jeff, just because like I had obviously not on the same scale, but I had a sort of similar story when I was doing ring announcing, like for the the crew that I had up in uh, a Flagstaff. And like so many times the people I was there with were like, hey, do you want to like you want to get in the ring? And I did once. I took one fucking back bump and I was like, no, that's it. I'm never doing this again. You people are insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, come on. You want to do Matt? Don't you want to be a part of it? No. 
Yeah. I'll be a part of it from over here. That's my table. We'll stay behind a microphone where yeah. it's safe. <laughs> yeah, come back to me after all of your fucking physical therapy and we'll talk. I mean, uh. it, it's sad at some points because, like, you see people who stay in it way too long and their bodies are falling apart or it's, I guess, easier if you're making WWE style of money. I'm like, okay, if Vince McMahon said he'd give me, you know, $10,000 the next night, maybe I would jump off some stuff. But I've seen people do crazier shit for like 20 bucks a handshake and a hot dog and yeah. like fucking they're oh happy about God. it. And I'm just like, no. Oh my God. Graves grabs him and locks in Lucky 13 again. And what happened at this point in my household? I was sitting on the couch and my partner, Neil, and my brother, Kai, and we were all clenching our fists, willing Neville not to tap as this was going on. And it looks like he's going to. And then he gets this look on his face like he's digging deep. He's remembering the words of Samwise Gamgee. There's some good in this world, Mr. Neville, and that's worth fighting for. And fight Adrian Neville does. He drags himself on his knuckles to the rope, forcing Graves to break the hold. Graves tugs Neville back from the ropes to lock in Lucky 13 again, and Neville reaches up and pulls Graves into an inside cradle. And holy fuck, he won! And we all applauded and cheered, and we were just generally overjoyed with the results. So yay, Adrian Neville! Indeed. I thought it was a really good match for what it was trying to do and what it was trying to be. I think that the story of the leg was was well done. As... We've established on the show, I'm not the biggest fan of Corey Graves matches, um, mm. but I thought this was one of the better ones that I've seen. He did everything he needed to do. Uh, Neville, though, I think really made that match work. And like the entire finishing sequence, starting with him attempting to get to the top rope, I thought was some really excellent, like distilled why wrestling is great. I agree. The finish was a little bit off for me because I'm not a big fan of like roll up finishes. I'm like, oh, you caught me. You caught me slipping. But like, did you really <laughs> did you beat me? Right. So if, um, I don't remember what happens after this. If they continue on with their feud, I think this was supposed to be the big blow off between those two. So if that's the big ending, seems kind of uh, uh, damn it. What's the word? Not counterproductive, not counterintuitive. Anticlimactic. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, roll-up finishes are always kind of anticlimactic unless it's done by um, Eddie Guerrero. I'm a little bit more open to uh, to roll-up finishes, but I told we have talked on the show in the past about how the roll-up finish is a little bit less definitive than the hit you with the finisher and pin you finish, or yeah. even more so the the make you tap out finish. The so tap I told because that those chants will carry on for you for for months afterwards, and people yeah. will talk shit on you for tapping out. Absolutely. Oh man, totally get that. I think for me it still worked because I think it was because of the story they were telling, like because the whole story had been about Graves targeting the the knee. And um, yeah. and like trying to take out his legs, and it was a it wasn't the most fleshed out thing that I've ever seen in a wrestling ring. But no. the fact that Neville powered out of the submission hold at the end was really important, and like kind of the actual climax of the match. Yes, because as agree. soon as yes. as soon as he does that, it's like oh, okay, so now he has to win. Yeah, so yeah, um, I think it worked for that reason, and because Neville sold it as the moment that it was. It's not my favorite thing, but they executed it well. Yes, absolutely. I just think inside cradles look cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bob, thank you so much for that breakdown. Uh, How did you find this episode? I really liked it. I thought a lot of fun stuff happened in it. I got a heel turn. 
I got to see a man who looked like he's an employee at Men's Warehouse wrestling in English. <laughs> I got to see Mason Ryan. I got to see Adrian Neville kick ass. Like, I got everything I wanted, and I got it in 36 minutes. So, you know, it's better than Domino's is what I'm saying. This was Fair a, enough. This was a solid episode for me. I think it's so funny the way you're talking about what Camacho is wearing, because they so clearly want him to be like a gangbanger, and he does not look <laughs> like one. Yep. No, like, I can't even uh, for a second go, oh, yeah, that's accurate. I'm like, what? No? I think that's a good cue for the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. So, Bob, for this episode, what did your elf eyes see? Charlotte's mean girl side. I hate it, but that imperious bearing... Ah, it's kind of hot, guys. It's kind of hot. Her hair is weird to me. Yeah, that's a little weird to see her with kind of a, a mediocre dye job on it. Or maybe that's her real brown color of hair, but it doesn't look like it's her real brown color of hair. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going on with that. So, Miles, what did your elf eyes see? You know, I was going back over, like, what was the what was the lasting image from this episode for me? And I Neville falling off the top rope. I just right. couldn't get over that. I don't think even in a in a in a business like wrestling, whereas Jeff was talking about all these crazy motherfuckers are jumping off high things for for twenty dollars and a hot dog, that was some like real <laughs> like he just threw himself down. Yeah, he just, he he just, just let, let his leg do the work. Yeah, he just <laughs> let his leg let gravity, re- let gravity remember you for a second and it will take over. <laughs> Reintroduce yourself to gravity. <laughs> And Jeff, what did your elf eyes see? My half-orc eyes saw oh, plenty. Yeah. yeah. I think it was Bailey's outfit because it was very much the, the Bailey that we know completely different than the Bailey we have right now. Yeah. And especially how long it took for her to get a difference in character. So I was like, oh, you really, that heel turn and that, that haircut and that change of attitude needed to come a long time. So seeing her old outfit and remembering how far she's come was something that I saw. All right, Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I don't know if you guys heard this. I feel like if you heard this, we all have the same one because it's so weird. William Regal just talking bullshit and saying, (laughs) yes, 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 about Aiden English, his hobby. He makes jeweled saddles for seahorses. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Is going on in your brain, William Regal. He's just backstage going like, what's a thing I could say? <laughs> Jeweled saddles for seahorses. Yeah, that's did, likely. I did completely miss that. That's in my notes. <laughs> I loved it. Because I love seahorses. So like anything seahorse wise. Oh, and I'm just yeah. like, I'm not thinking of, um, I want to see Aiden English in like Spongebob riding a seahorse with King Neptune. Is all yes. I want in my life. I, who doesn't love seahorses? They're queer heroes. I love them. <laughs> seahorses are fantastic. Miles, what did your Vulcaneers hear? Only because I didn't hear the thing about the seahorses. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear another William Regal uh, bit of commentary, and I think, Bob, you, you you definitely touched on it, and I appreciated that you touched on it, but I think it deserves a little bit more attention. So, William Regal, in his job as color commentator, decides, possibly at the last minute, I don't know... <laughs> That he needs to find some angle for this Mason Ryan Danny Birch match. <laughs> some way to sell this to the people and they'll care about what's happening in the ring. Oh, God. So he takes the fact that Mason Ryan is Welsh and Danny Birch is British. 
And he makes an entire thing about how this is going to be an interesting fight because the British and the Welsh have always hated each other. (laughs) And like you said, he gives a mini history lesson. He talks about how, like, he hates to admit it, but the Welsh are actually the real Britons because they're the only ones who didn't get conquered because they were behind the mountains. And like... I know, I just, we're getting geography, history. <laughs> I, I, I know you mentioned it, but I have to call it out because, like, what an amazing piece of work by this man who <laughs> is just desperately trying to figure out some reason. <laughs> like, commentators today and other commentators will, like, talk some shit over important matches where they have story things to say and there's, like, actual reasons for them to be talking. They'll, like, go off on these weird tangents and completely lose track because they're bored and don't care. <laughs> William Regal gives it his all every goddamn match, unless Renee Young is with him on commentary, in which case he's flirting with her. But still, (laughs) I was like, I was pounding the table for William Regal being like, this match is representative of the ancient Britain-Welsh conflict. (laughs) In this TED talk, I will. (laughs) Oh my God. Jeff, what did your Vulcaneers hear? My Romulan ears, uh, too, also picked up. (laughs) Commentary is always my fucking favorite thing. And the little banters between uh, Lord Tensai, a.k.a. A-Train, a.k.a. Sweet Tea, the back and forths they had starting out were really funny. Uh, where Tensai was, uh, he said to Regal that I've been watching you since the, uh, I was in the second grade. Yeah. And then Regal claps back. And he's like, you're the only man I know who has a beer belly on the back of his head. So just... <laughs> I know. I was like, geez, you're not here to make friends, are you, Willie? <laughs> so just watching them go back and forth. So I think we've all realized that William Regal was definitely the star of all of this. You know, while we're here, we didn't actually ring the bell for any of the wrestlers on this episode because they're all sticking around for a while. But we are ringing the bell for the uh, ring announcer. Uh, oh, really? His name, I think, is Kendall Sky or something like that. Ooh, and that's she a fun was. Name. You remember when Paige won the women's championship and yeah. all the mm-hmm. women in the back came out and surrounded her? And there was one woman that like didn't come out from the back. She came out from some other area, and I didn't know who she was. It yes. was the ring announcer. Ah. <gasps> And I did not realize personally until I was watching the episode that comes after this one where she is no longer the ring announcer, how much she was annoying me because I do not think she does a very good job. I don't know what doing a good job of of being the ring announcer would mean. So what did you think, Jeff? It was okay, but that definitely wasn't that wasn't her stitch. She didn't have the. The emotional into it to like make me care about these people. She didn't have the John Cena uh, to her voice. She didn't yeah, have the yeah. the emotion. The like, it's not just saying a name, but turning a name into a character is how I've always seen oh, it wow. in my head. It just like That's it drives tough. me crazy a lot of the time when ring announcers don't put their all into it. Just because, from my perspective, it's the most fun thing in the world. Yes, like why would you not put everything you have into it? And especially, yeah. like, it's our only time to shine. It's like, I love the attention that comes along with wrestling stuff, but I know that, like, I can't keep everyone's attention because I'm not going to fall off of a rope and hurt right. myself. So, yeah. I'm like, I've got this these 22 seconds to make you want to hear my voice, to make you feel something. Um, so that is why her ring announcing just sort of falls flat, because I, I don't, she doesn't make me feel it. All right, Bob, what did your human heart feel? 
My human heart felt Adrian Neville winning. I felt that was what you were going to say. This match was almost as emotional for me as the Cesaro Zayn two out of three falls, which I know is held up as like one of the great things. But oh, man, I was really into this. I was on the edge of my seat. I felt the story of the match the whole way through. I was worried that Neville was going too hard too early and was like, oh, dang, he's going to burn bright and burn it and like burn out. And I got nervous as Gray started working the knee. And then when Neville fell from the top rope or just like allowed himself to face plant from the top rope, I gasped. It was a whole ride and I loved it. I was very into this. That's awesome. I'm, I'm just so glad to hear that. And Miles, what does your human heart feel? I already talked about it a little bit, so I'm not going to go into it again. But I just had many, many Aiden English feelings in this episode. I was like, man, why you guys got to do Aiden English like that? And then on a broader scale, I was like, man, why do you guys got to do Aiden English like that? <laughs> so yeah, the micro and macro levels of, of I just Aiden really English. like him and like watching I like him too. Watching recent episodes and like getting to catch up and and remember like all this all the singing he would do and like I don't know people throwing the roses in the ring like. I'm super pro in English now. <laughs> yeah, he's great. All right, Jeff, what did your blank heart uh, that's feel? Right, so I'm like, oh, what can I do to figure this wrong? Because I don't know like what genre we're pulling from. So I'm like, what's well, really emotional? I'm like, Betazoids are really, Betazoidians, Betazeds? Betazoids, I believe it's Betazoids. Yeah, they're Betazoids. Yeah, they're really emotional, but either way. They are. Um... Danny Birch made me feel a lot only because like I know that like things aren't going to get any better and then like yeah. he's like still in NXT kind of in a tag team kind of doing 205 live stuff and I was like oh you really have been here for a long time <laughs> and you're not doing anything and he's a good wrestler I feel like he doesn't have a solid character mm, and that's agree. really hard if you take him and you take Aiden English and if you were to give him that type of artiste thing I feel like he could run with it but it's like I'm a tough guy from Europe. I'm like, uh, okay. Yeah. I'm sure he's living his dream. He's in the US. He works for the WWE, but it's like he doesn't ever get off the ground, really. So I'm just like, oh, buddy. Aww. If you knew then what I know now. Could be worse. He could be Tino Sabatelli. <laughs> Those were the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. And uh, that's taking us rapidly toward the end of our show. But we cannot close out until we do the cheap pop quiz. I just need one point. Just need one point, Bob. See if you can do it. I got some questions here that I'm proud of. All right, question number one. Next episode centers around something called a beat the clock challenge. Okay. I'm going to let you find out for yourself what that is. But how many wrestlers are involved? Is it A, two, B, four, C, eight, D, 16, or E, 20? Oh, I was hoping E would just be all of them. (laughs) All the wrestlers. wrestlers. To be fair, it can be almost any number. Like, you can have a certain amount of people set up in a beat the clock challenge. It's not like um, a tag team match where you know you're going to have two on two. So the numbers can change depending on however they want to write it. Right. I'm I'm asking for this specific one that we're about to see. I'm going to say that because NXT only recently learned how many people they have in their tag team division and seemed very shocked by that, (laughs) that this will not be a heavily attended event. And I'm going to say four. Okay. All right. Question number two. Next episode also features, and you'll like this, Bob, the return of Bo Dallas. Oh boy. Our alien. Back from the Bo Dallas versus the world tour. 
Bo is so excited to see the NXT audience that he decides to celebrate with them Oprah style. Oh no. According to Bo, what does every member of the audience get? Is it A, mm. a toy car? B, a party hat? C, a balloon? D, a cookie? Or E, a shot at the NXT championship? <laughs> God, I hope it's E. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say the party hats because I think that's about the budget NXT has right now. <laughs> Fair I enough. don't remember, but just going off Bo, I would say it was a balloon. Okay. Just going oh, off of how much God, I know Bo. Oh my God, you're a genius. Yes, that's a pretty I'm good answer. Go with, a, with a balloon. If he doesn't make that joke, I'm going to be so pissed off. I'm mean, like, how could you miss that? I don't remember if he does or not, but I can guarantee you will be too busy uh, reacting to his other jokes to notice. Oh no. <laughs> Question number three. You know, if the S.H.I.E.L.D. actually were about justice, I'd say it would be nice to have them back right about now, because there is a major injustice going down in NXT. What is it? Is it A. Sami Zayn has served his suspension, but JBL refuses to reinstate him. B. Sami Zayn has served his suspension and JBL reinstates him, but he refuses to give Sami an opportunity to become number one contender. C. Sami Zayn has served his suspension, JBL reinstates him, and gives him an opportunity to become number one contender, but blatantly stacks the odds against him. D. Sami Zayn has served his suspension, JBL reinstates him, gives him an opportunity to become number one contender, and doesn't stack the odds against him. But when the match ends in a tie, JBL arbitrarily gives the victory to Zayn's opponent. Or E. Renee Young isn't here, and some new <laughs> person is trying to interview people backstage. That's what I call an injustice. I do love Renee Young. Her sunny smile is, is worth everything. Okay, given what you have talked to me about regarding catharsis uh -huh. and the importance of the struggle, I'm going to say he reinstates him and allows him the shot, but the odds are insanely stacked against him. All right, so that is answer C. He has to do the challenges of Hercules or something. Got it, got it. <laughs> he has to sell insurance door to door for three months first. <laughs> That is a very well-reasoned response, Bob, and we will find out if that one was right, and if the others were right, and if you've gotten that last elusive point you need to earn your third bonus episode in which we read a romance novel or something like it. Yeah. Uh, on our next episode, want to say thank you one more time to Jeff for joining us. Before you leave, I like to, to ask this question to all the guests we have on the show who are coming in with a knowledge of wrestling. Do you have any advice for Megan Bob as she continues her journey into this bizarre fandom that we find ourselves a part of? Be prepared for bullshit and to let it go really fast. There, there are things that's going to suck. It's not going to make any sense. You're going to be pissed. Wrestling is almost an abusive relationship. We're like, <laughs> but, but I know they can do better. They, they won't do it again. And then they do it again. Or then okay. they'll, like, they'll give you a glimmer of hope. Like, that was so awesome. They finally changed. I'm so happy I stuck around. And then it just goes to shit again all over again. So get ready for the ups and downs and emotional wreck of bad and great wrestling. Okay, that's helpful. Yeah, that's definitely the first time we've had anybody say that as their piece of advice, but I think it's incredibly necessary. <laughs> Agree. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. Really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. I had a blast. All right, well, that's about all we got for this episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bob, thank you so much, as always, for joining me. Oh, thank you. It has been a freaking delight. And thank you once again to Jeff for uh, for coming on the show. It was really great yeah, having him. It was amazing. 
we also have uh, some corrections to issue. So Henry, who is one of our patrons and is uh, Sir Harry Bumblespike in the tag team, uh, we misgendered Henry and we wanted to correct that. Henry uses they, them. So wanted to go back and say that. And um, we are going to leave Harry because it could be Harry or Harriet or yeah. something entirely different. Yeah, I just, uh, I just want to apologize for uh, for that. Um, that's my mistake for uh, for assuming based on the name. Myself also. And I also wanted to offer a quick change up to uh, Dick Coppers, a man of no consequence. Ah, yes. Kai spoke with me about it and had some dysphoric feelings about the name. And so... We want to be sensitive to those things and to make sure that we get uh, pronouns correct and all of that. So if your name or the character gives you squeaky feelings, please let us know. Because what we definitely don't want to do is give you unpleasant feelings about your wrestling character. We want you to feel delighted by your wrestling character. Yeah. So always, always feel free to reach out and say like, oh, I feel icky. I don't like it. And we'll say we will fix it. So Dick Hoppers, Man of No Consequence, is now all Oliver Silvers. So Dick Coppers got done in by, you know, the peelers. They got brought in. He has had to remake himself a little bit to uh, avoid detection. So now Oliver Silvers, Ollie to to his friends, now has moved up the social ladder very slightly and is a man of mild consequence. That's right. So So, thank you so much to, uh, to Kai and to Henry for getting in touch with us and requesting those changes. We are more than happy to make them. Sorry for any inadvertent uh, discomfort we may have caused you. Yeah. And I uh, hope you like the the new names. On that note, Speaking Bob, of more new names. Speaking of new names, uh, we have a couple more new wrestlers to welcome to the NXT Wrestling Fan Wrestling Promotion. I'm going to get out the streamers. The first one was known on the independent scene as Cam B. Oh. And... You know, Bob, I think I speak for both of us when I say the first thing, if you just say the words can be to me, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to Cambot. That's where my brain goes. I go it's to Cambot, true. I go to MST3K. And so I took some inspiration from that and I decided that uh, in our promotion, Cam B is going to be known as Crash Tag. And That's a fun name. And Crash Tag is a very tech savvy kind of multimedia expert, right? Kind of younger, newer generation. You know, sort of like the Tyler Breeze character, but taking away the narcissism of Mm. the next generation and replacing it with just, like, the boundless enthusiasm and, like, ability to do things like make quick videos or, like, GIFs online. So... Oh, wow. A thing which we struggled with mightily until only very recently. I mean, I continue struggling with it, to be honest. You may have noticed the lack of visual companions. (laughs) GIFs are hard, guys. Look, it's not even the GIFs are hard. It's the almost one-year-olds are hard. Anyway. Yeah, it's true. Um, the point is here is that I like the idea of a character who is like just very kind of techy, just engages in all of their feuds by hacking into the Titan Tron, like putting weird videos they've like put together and like really, really engaged in social media feuds, stuff like that. So um, that was my, uh, my inspiration for for Crash Tag. I really enjoy the character. I hope that Cam does as well. The other wrestler joining us was known on the independent scene as Bridget Blakemore. We've talked about about how wrestling is a workplace drama, and a lot of the gimmicks that we see in wrestling are workplace inspired. Mm. And there have been 
teacher wrestlers in the past. What? Yeah, there have been a few iterations of the idea of the wrestler who is also a teacher. You know, they come to the ring with like blackboards and insult the audience's intelligence and stuff. Okay, but but that's not what we're doing here. I I have a vision of a different kind of teacher wrestler, Bob, one who is very knowledgeable and skilled in the technical art of wrestling Mm. and loves to pass that knowledge on to their opponents. That's so sweet. So what we've got here is uh, Carol Staples. Oh, that's a fun name. Which is actually a a mishmash of uh, the first and last names of two very influential teachers on my life. uh, But also is just like a real fucking teachery name. (laughs) It is a very teachery name. So her whole thing is that she knows a lot about wrestling, probably more than you. When you're in the ring wrestling her and she's like has you in a submission hold or like some kind of like other kind of hold like pinfall attempts, you know, she's telling you how she's doing it and she's explaining to you what you should do if you want to counter this. And if you then do it and successfully counter it, she's extremely proud of you despite getting her ass kicked by you. So wow. that is Carol Staples. We are very pleased to welcome her to the next wrestling fan wrestling promotion. Thank you so much to Bridget and of course, again, to Cam for being patrons. Uh, if you would like to become a patron and get your wrestling name and character included on our show, all you have to do is go over to patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan and donate as little as $2. And we really appreciate it. We really appreciate everyone who does donate and everyone who doesn't and just listens. And honestly, even the people who don't listen, although not as much. (laughs) I wanted to say one thing about Carol Staples, which is that I love the idea that even if you lose to Carol Staples, Carol Staples is going to encourage you and go, you know, I, these things are hard to learn. You're going to practice and get better and you're going to come back and win. Yeah, absolutely. It's so beautiful. One final thing we wanted to say, especially to our patrons, but to anybody who is interested in pigeons oh my god is that we have held the vote (sighs) to see what our bonus episode is going to be about and all of you people much to my surprise uh and i think to miles as well it was a joke entry but we were fools and and flew too close to the sun (laughs) and fittingly now we are going to be flying with these pigeons as we are going to play Hatoful Boyfriend and we are going to make a bonus episode about Hatoful Boyfriend and have Kit Mulcairin help guide us through this world of birds, love, and kind of anime tropes. So if that sounds appealing to you, you may want to uh, get in on the ground floor of this and uh, go subscribe over at Patreon to hear that episode whenever it drops. And we will definitely let you know whenever it drops. But be preparing yourselves emotionally, heartfully, birdfully for <laughs> for whatever this is going to be. And boy, do Miles and I not know what it's going to be. Romantic and birdie, I guess. I'm going to have to prepare for it fucking somehow. Jesus. <laughs> I can't. Go feed some Ugh. bird seed, just some pigeons, and just look in their eyes and think <laughs> about what they what they think of you. Just try to commune, you know, just lay down on the ground near some pigeons and see. Look, I'm excited to have Kit on the show. I was very worried that we were not going to be able to have her on until like many, many years from now when Japanese wrestlers finally start showing up in the company. But yes, but I didn't not like this. (laughs) Not like this. Kuru, kuru. Come on, <laughs> one of us, one of us. So join us for that. 
thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all in two weeks with a new episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. Bye! The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Jeff, I have two questions before you leave. The first one is, what are you doing these days? Where can people find you on the internet? Do you have anything to plug? Oh, I have nothing to plug. I basically, well, there's nothing going on now, even if I did have to do, because the whole <laughs> world mean, is shut down. That's true. So even if I did have shows to plug, they're Fuck. all canceled. I just so. realized. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized you're the first guest we've had on since all this shit started going down. <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait a minute, no, you don't have anything to plug. <laughs> Nothing to plug at all. God damn it. <laughs>